Hello everybody, this is our sixth sermon looking at the book of Exodus. And today we are looking at the passage from Exodus chapter 7 verse 14 through to chapter 10 verse 29. And we're asking the question, why the nine plagues? Let us cut to the chase. Why the plagues? I mean, come on. A life-giving river turning to blood. A revolting invasion of frogs followed by their putrid decay. Potentially disease-carrying gnats and flies filling the air and people's throats. The commercially damaging animal disease. Debilitating boils. Environmental disaster through hail and locusts. Terrifying darkness. And to cap it all off, the truly terrible sadness caused by the death of sons. Why all this suffering? Why all this misery and disruption to life? In fact, let's push those questions a little further. Right back in Exodus 4.23, God had told Moses that Pharaoh would refuse to let Israel leave slavery until he had killed Pharaoh's firstborn son. In other words, God always knew he would need to resort to that final devastating plague of death. So why on earth did he have to go through with all the trauma of the previous nine when he already knew they would be ineffectual? It may be that you have never asked this why question before. Maybe you've grown up with this story from Sunday school and never felt the need to question it. Maybe you've never felt allowed to question it. However, we live in a world today that is just not going to accept this story at face value. It doesn't fit in with some of their cherished ideals. Therefore, we're going to need to do some work so we can then help explain it to our non-believing friends and neighbours. Today, we are asking the question, why the plagues? And particularly, why the nine plagues in the run-up to the decisive tenth? We shall begin with a couple of warnings before looking at five positive lessons that we learn about God from these challenging chapters. If we strip this part of the Exodus story to its most basic elements, these nine plagues take place because Pharaoh kept disobeying God. The Lord asked for his people to be released. Pharaoh keeps refusing. What we have here then is a warning about disobedience and its consequences. If you were to sit down and read the whole of the book of Exodus, this is actually one of the most prominent lessons within it. God is delighted by human obedience, but he abhors disobedience. Over the last few weeks in the run-up to this epic clash between God and Pharaoh, we have seen Moses on a journey of growing obedience. This is the lesson he has learned out in the wilderness. Through his mistakes, doubts, questions and sometimes raging prayers, Moses has come to the point of trusting God completely. Verse 6 of chapter 7 marked the climax of this process. It says that Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded them. The very next verse tells us that it had taken Moses 80 years to get to this place of obedient faith. It had not been an easy ride. That said, now that Moses was obedient, it opened the way for God to act. Throughout these long chapters detailing the nine plagues, Moses is hardly mentioned. He has just a small part to play. 
Whenever we do see or hear from him, he is relaying a message from the Lord. In other words, doing and saying what the Lord had told him to. In a very real way, Moses' obedience helped bring Israel out of Egypt. Against all the odds and against the world's most brutal superpower of the time, his obedience opened the channel for God's power to flow. His obedience delighted the Lord. On the other hand, when someone repeatedly disobeys the Lord, the plague story shows us how much God abhors it. More often than not, throughout the Bible, God is portrayed as patient and merciful. Indeed, God himself declares they are essential attributes to his character. But at times, we do get a further insight into his mind and concerns. Through stories such as the fall, the flood, the destruction of Sodom, the death of Ananias and Sapphira, we get to see what we do not always recognise straight away. And that is how much God dislikes disobedience. The story of the plague is another one to fit into that category. God made human beings to be his representatives on earth, his image bearers. So when they persistently ignore his wishes, he is forced to act. Pharaoh must face the consequences of his disobedience. This is a stark warning for all of God's people down through history. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. As a devout Jew, Paul would have discovered this warning from Exodus. But this warning on disobedience can be taken a step further to become a warning about sin in general. We live in an age where everyone thinks they can decide what is right or wrong for themselves. In 2021, moral absolutes are out and woe betide anyone who casts a judgment on the behaviour of another. The real reason that so many people in our world today have a problem with this story of the plagues is because we have lost all concept of sin. We have lost understanding of the damage that sin does to us, others and the world. We have lost all realism of God's wrath against sin as he mourns the marring of his good creation. We no longer recognise God's holy determination to get rid of sin once and for all. In the Exodus story, it is human sin that has brought about Israel's slavery and their intolerable suffering. Through the plagues, God calls Pharaoh again and again to leave his life of sin. But of course, he stubbornly refuses until ultimately the final plague brings the death that sin always leads to in the end. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New. Sin is serious. Sin kills. So God is committed to removing it from his world. Killing it off in the same way we are committed to killing off this virus today. Of course, ultimately, we discover that God would need to take our sin and the death it causes onto himself. As Christ hung on the cross, he took the plague, the curse, the judgment sin is due and put it to death. So we need not die under its load. And the story of the plague is just one more piece of evidence as to why that saving action was necessary. Sin is utterly destructive. We cannot remain within it in ignorance. We cannot refuse to leave it with impunity. 
God is working to kill sin off, to set his creation and people free. Let us heed the warning. So this is one way to understand the first nine plagues. They are warnings. If Pharaoh had listened and repented, the rest would not have happened. Remember, just because in his sovereignty God knew that the tenth plague would be required, that does not mean that Pharaoh did not have the freedom to act appropriately each step of the way in the run-up. Pharaoh could have stepped off the ladder of discipline and onto the path of obedience at any time, and had he done so, he and Egypt would have escaped the final penalty that sin brings. But he didn't, and death was the result. God never gave any indication that it would be otherwise. So the nine plagues were warnings shot across the bow of the Egyptian boat. But now I would like us to turn to something much more positive. For within these nine plagues, there are five really important lessons to learn about God. Five aspects of his character that can be a real help to us today as we struggle on through these difficult days together. The first lesson the plagues teach us about the Lord is this. The Lord is God. Do you remember how Pharaoh responded when Moses first went to him back in chapter 5 and asked for Israel's release? This is what he said. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh claimed ignorance. Well, by the time these plagues are over, Pharaoh will no longer be able to protest the same. As Moses is sent back to Pharaoh and announces that God is about to turn the Nile to blood, in verse 17 of chapter 7, he gives the reason for this dramatic action. The message is stark. God says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. By this you will know that I am the Lord. As the plagues start to be dispensed upon the earth, there is no doubt that a mighty God is at work here. As many of you will know, the Nile is the river that sustains all Egypt's life. To this day, it floods and fertilises the land. In a very hot country, it provides the people with water to drink. By turning the Nile to blood, God is showing that he is the source of life, not an inanimate river. He is the creator God, and he has the power to use creation for his own purposes. So lesson one of the plagues is that the Lord is God. Pharaoh and us today are to be in ignorance no longer. Lesson two takes that first lesson and develops it. Not only is the Lord God, he is the only God, the only one worthy of attention, praise and service. As the plagues continue, the messages that God sends with them get clearer and more demanding. After the plague of frogs, Moses says to Pharaoh in verse 10 of chapter 8 that this will happen so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. Before the plague of hail, the message is similar. This will happen, verse 14 of chapter 9, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Clearly, God wants Pharaoh to see that he is the only one worthy of his obedience. Let us think about that a little more for a moment. When the plagues began, one of the reasons Pharaoh initially refused to listen to them was because his court magicians could replicate them in some way. 
be it by illusion, sleight of hand, or dark occultic arts, the magicians produced some dramatic act that gave Pharaoh an excuse not to take the Lord seriously. But as the plays continue, this excuse goes right out the window. When the plague of gnats took place, the magicians were forced to concede they could not match this power. They turned to Pharaoh and said, 819, This is the finger of God. When the plague of boils came and the Egyptian magicians were covered by them just as much as anyone else, the text says in 911, the magicians could not stand before Moses any longer. You see, the Lord is the only God, the only one worthy of worship and obedience. He is above all spiritual, magical and occultic forces. They are nothing compared to him. But the plagues actually go much further than this. In ancient Egypt, you did not just have sorcerers and magicians. There were many gods and idols as well. The ordinary people had to tour around offering their devotions to each one in turn to keep them all happy. The average Egyptian lived in fear of the gods, in fear that they'd not paid them all enough attention. Well, in the plagues, God takes each one on and proves they are fake. In Egypt, the Nile itself was deemed to be a god, a creative god. By turning it to blood, the Lord showed that god did not exist. In Egypt, the goddess of fertility was called Hesket and was pictured as having the head of a frog. By leaving thousands of rotting frogs through the land, the Lord showed that god did not exist either. In Egypt, Hathor was the mother goddess. She had the head of a cow. By sending a plague on the livestock, the Lord showed that God did not exist. We could go on. Senehem was the Egyptian God who supposedly protected the land from locusts. By sending a plague of locusts, God defeated him. Amnon-Re was the chief deity in all of Egypt, the head honcho of all the gods. He was believed to be the personification of the sun. In the ninth plague, the climax before the dreadful tenth, the Lord darkens the sun in the land. He puts it out, extinguishes it. He is showing that he is above even Egypt's most powerful God. Do you see, the plagues show us that the Lord is above every religion, every idol, every new age spirituality that takes root on earth. The Lord is not just God, he is the only God. He is the one creator and sustainer of everything that exists. Pharaoh was to give credence and allegiance to no one else. We today are to worship or serve no one other than the Lord. And of course, the good news is that we need not fear no other God either, for they simply do not exist. So God is above magic and the dark arts. He's above idols and religions. And as the one true God, he is above every political power as well. Remember that at that time, Pharaoh believed himself to be semi-divine, the offspring of Ra. Consequently, he claimed power and authority over every inch of ground in the country. No one could oppose Pharaoh. His power was total. Well, not quite. God was above Pharaoh. Indeed, in verse 16 of chapter 9, the Lord says that it was he that allowed Pharaoh to come to power precisely so he could then put him in his place and thus demonstrate to all the world who was really in charge. Let us be in no doubt today, just as much as all those years ago, the Lord is the only God, the only one worthy of our lives. 
The third lesson we learn from the plague narrative is that the Lord is present in the world. He is present in all circumstances. He is present when his people are suffering. The fourth plague, the plague of flies, is interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, because it is so severe. The text tells us that the flies swarmed everywhere and that they ruined the land. There must have been literally millions and millions of them. But then at the exact time the Lord said, the flies left completely. The text is very precise. Not a fly remained, 8.31. This is a great demonstration of power. But there's something else. Despite this being a seemingly uncontrollable swarm of millions of flies, the land of Goshen, the place where the Israelites lived, was not touched at all. A great miraculous distinction between Egypt and Israel occurs, a sign that was undeniable to all those that saw it. In the words of introduction to this plague, again the Lord states to Pharaoh why he is going to do it. And it is so, verse 22 of chapter 8, you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. That you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I am here. I am present. I have seen all that is going on. My people are not abandoned and you cannot escape me, Pharaoh. I am here in the land. It is my land, not yours. Here then we get another great reminder that the story of the Exodus is not Moses versus Pharaoh, but God versus Pharaoh. The Lord has come down to personally rescue his people and no one can stop him. He has been moved by his people's groans and cries and he will stop at nothing until they've been turned to songs of joy. The Lord is not remote or disconnected from his world. He's not absent or unfeeling as the Israelites must have been tempted to think. He is present right there with them and he will stay with them every step of the journey on the way out of their captivity. The Lord is God. The Lord is the only God and the Lord is present in the land. Oh, how we need to hold on to that truth today, just as much as Israel did three and a half thousand years ago. The fourth lesson may be so seemingly obvious that we fail to take it to heart, and it is this. The Lord is powerful. The seventh plague is the plague of hail. By this point, Pharaoh has had six opportunities to repent, but he's let everyone pass him by. So now with the hail, God decides to up the ante. But just listen as to the reason why. This is verses 13 to 16 of chapter 9. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my place against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Here then we get the definitive answer to the questions we began this sermon with. Why does God go through with the nine plagues when he always knew the tenth would be required? It is so he can demonstrate his power. The plagues show us that all power is at God's disposal and therefore all earthly power is under him. Even the most powerful man on earth at the time, Pharaoh, is only allowed to live by divine appointment. 
God has given him his life and allowed it to continue. And when Pharaoh has remained stubborn in his disobedience and sin, God has allowed this to go on for a time so a greater good could be achieved. The Lord wants his power to become known, not just by his people, not just by arrogant rulers like Pharaoh, but so all the earth might come to know him. Let's read verse 16 again. I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God wants all the earth to know him and worship him. He wants all the earth to receive his blessing and experience his love. This is what he's using his power for. Not just to break down and destroy, although that will be necessary when sin and evil have taken root, but to witness and draw others in. And actually, that is precisely what we see start to happen as the power of the plague starts to ramp up. Just four verses later, the text tells us that some of Pharaoh's officials, having seen the power of God, start to break rank. They hurry out to bring their livestock and slaves indoors, thereby saving them from the terrible hail. God's power is making the previously ignorant take notice, and as a result, is saving lives. The final lesson that we learn about God from all of this is that the Lord protects his own. We've covered a lot of ground today, but it's so important we remember that all these plagues take place for one ultimate reason. The Lord is trying to get his people out of slavery. All of this devastation takes place in response to God seeing his people suffering and hearing their cries. His heart was moved by their plight. Through compassion, he resolved to act. It is interesting that God's people are utterly silent through these five long chapters. The last words we heard from them were back in chapter 5, and they were words of complaint and rebellion. They turned against Moses, blaming him for making their lives even harder, and ignored God's instructions. We could ask the question then, did God's people deserve their deliverance? The answer would have to be no. Even when they do get out of the land, they constantly moan and complain, making Moses' life a misery and upsetting God, their rescuer. No, God's people do not deserve salvation. They do not merit God's love and mercy, but they get it because the Lord sees them as his family. He sees them as his own, to whom he has a responsibility of care. They are his people, to whom he has made covenant promises, promises he will always remain faithful to. Let us be in no doubt, the Lord protects his own. That is why we must make sure we snap up the invitation extended to us to become part of his people through Christ. We will never regret it. It is also why we must make sure we keep announcing that invitation to others in the world who have not accepted it for themselves yet, either. There is no better, no safer, no more hopeful place to be than in the people of God. With that, we must finish. We have discovered a lot from this challenging passage. Hopefully, we all now have a few answers to that question, why the plagues? But most importantly, I hope we have seen just how relevant this is to all that we're going through at this time. As this pandemic continues, let us hear the warnings and learn the lessons. Let us leave our sin and acknowledge the Lord of all creation. 
Let us put down all other idols we may cling to because frankly this virus has shown them all to be useless. Let us pray instead to the God who is present. Let us trust in his power. And let us give thanks that through Jesus we are part of God's people and so have a hope that holds us through all the death that currently surrounds us. Praise God for that.